helping people gain awareness and utilize their own attention and direct their own attention is massive. It's a massive part of what I do. And you say those words and it sounds really easy, but anybody who's had any type of kind of repetitive thought pattern or a sense of overwhelm even, which I think we can all raise our hand, it's sometimes it's harder. It's it's easy to think of it like a strategy, but it's harder in practice, especially when something feels threatening or loaded or scary or stressful or whatever. So I help people master their own attention in a really, really easy, natural, fast and lasting way. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, one of the things that I want to encourage you as a listener today is how focused are you on how you come across in your mind and your awareness? Now, we've talked about self-awareness many times in many shows, and today's guest really helps people to get focused on themselves and to say, you know what, you are really creating your own reality. If you have a lot of critical spirit or judgment, and that judgment in a lot of cases actually could be on ourselves, and even unknowingly, where we create anxiety in ourselves, where we create stress in ourselves because of something where we are not meeting up to our own standards, and in some cases, subconsciously. So we have had an amazing interview with Mandy, and just her delightful nature, and so hopefully you will enjoy that uh, show today. Now, as always, we like you, and we thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. The other thing is, is the sponsorship of the Secrets of Success is consultingresourcegroup.com. And we just recently launched our new site, so it's there. And our focus is really to help people to develop that self-awareness. And one of the new things that we have online is our uh, What Do You Really Value e-course. So my encouragement is, is that, you know, if what would it mean if you could make the right decision every time? And when people go through and complete our values preference indicator and then take the course and we take you through this journey of clarifying your priorities, then we can, as a sort of metaphorically speaking, make the right decision every time because you filter your decisions against those values. And so we just want to encourage that you consider that we have that link in the show notes. So thank you again, as always, for listening. So here's our show with Mandy Barbie. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week, we're hopefully encouraging you, and I thank you for all the comments that you've had out there about the amazing guests that we've had recently and by the way, today's no exception. We had sort of a preamble conversation, and today's guest is just a delight. She has amazing energy. So welcome to the show, Mandy Barbie. Mandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. And we found out while we were just sort of chatting, we just lived just two or three hours away from each other. Though we can't visit each other because at the time of the recording, the borders are still closed. But that being, because you could be listening to this three years later and said, what are you talking about? Was there something that <laughs> happened three years ago? Uh, no, just forget it. Just move on from there. So Mandy, thanks for joining us. And you have a company called Palladium Mine, and we'll get to that here in a bit. 
in how people can contact you later on in the show. So, uh, Mandy, we like to, uh, you know, what is your profession now? What is it that you do now? I love what I do. I'm a transformation and healing expert. Basically, what that translates to is I work with people using their innate capabilities combined with the power of imagery in order to help them transform long-standing issues in minutes and hours, not years. Mm. So all of us that have issues, you really can help us to kind of process that very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and then you can take your temperature check and find out that you're human if you have issues. So that's a good <laughs> sign too. That's right. Well, uh, I've told this joke on Secrets of Success before, Mandy, and maybe you've heard it before, mm. but uh, there's. I was walking through the psych ward in a hospital. Yes, I was not a patient. <laughs> and there was this poster outside one of the offices and it said the uh, world conference of functional families and it was a football stadium that hold 50 60,000 people and it was empty except for two cars in the middle of the football field and there were just two families there and then it said in a little caption below and it said these two families are in denial so uh, <laughs> just like there's really nobody that's normal right everybody has stuff that they have to kind of process we all do yeah, and I love that. Talk about it here. But let's kind of scroll back, Mandy, is that, you know, uh, we like to hear about people's story, their journey. How did they get to where they're at? So how did that happen for you? Where was growing up for you? Or were you mm -hmm. in Washington State then? Or you said you were from the South, so you moved. So yeah, what, was, I was, what was home I, life like and where was it? I was from the South and I still, I still, I still really see my roots down in the South in uh, the southern, Southeastern United States in Georgia. And before I just dive into that, I just want to thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ken. One of the things I appreciate about you and this podcast, I appreciate about it is the way that you bring people together. I really shine a light on um, success strategies, but also the stories, because those stories are what bring us all together. So just mm. thank you well, for thank giving you, me space. Well, thanks for being yeah. so kind. Uh, you're welcome. And, and you know, it's interesting is because, uh, you know, story really does connect people. And if you are a speaker, usually it's the stories that people remember. And in fact, our brains are, remi are wired to remember stories. So thank you for that. So you were in Georgia. Are you at Southern mm -hmm. Georgia? Were you close to the Florida border or where were you no i was um i was in the north north let's see i'm doing my west east right now with my hands i was on the northwest corner basically split the distance between the the tennessee georgia line and atlanta mm -hmm. and um one of the things that's really interesting about my background and story is that i'm the oldest of five daughters five girls mm -hmm. so yeah, our family is kind of big, comparatively big, and uh, we were all very close in age as well. And um, so I think I want to pick up, I mean, what was coming to mind as you were mentioning story, and I get that first sentence or two out, you know, just started just warming my vocal cords up this morning, is like, um, at some point, whatever coping strategies that we've been using in life they start to break down. So you can only like, if you're not like actually like fluidly functioning, like we're talking about the functioning families, if you're not mm -hmm. really functioning on all cylinders as a person um, with a complex personality and desires and hopes and needs and boundaries, et cetera, and if it's not all working together, 
like perfectly, then it, there are areas where you've got to be coping. And at whatever point in your life your coping starts to break down, like for me, that's when I think the story kind of got interesting. Um, because it's one thing to keep it all looking looking nice and perfect on the surface, but when you start to see your own cracks, even even you maybe don't realize that they're cracks until they start to show a little bit more, that is when I think I, I think of it like I actually kind of got to meet myself for the first time. And I was actually a senior at the Air Force Academy. Um, so I was very independently minded and I wanted to support myself in coming from a sense of gratitude with uh, all that I was given by my parents. And I headed off to the Air Force Academy and by the time that I became a senior, I had been outwardly, like by all outward appearances, functioning really well. <laughs> I was overperforming. I was really high in my class, like the top 5%, top 6%, and um, real, rounding the clubhouse turn, as they say, in senior year. And I started to miss my classes. And, you know, at this time, I was only... I was only 21 years old when this part of my story that I'm sharing today, mm -hmm. but I mean, you don't have a lot of options at the Air Force Academy. You'd, it's not an option to not make your classes. It's not an option to fail something at the last minute. It's a big deal. You can't just stay an extra year. You like need to graduate. And so missing classes was really scary to me and the reason that I was missing classes was even more concerning because I couldn't quite explain what was happening. As I look back, I know that I was experiencing a really debilitating anxiety that I had no idea of the origin or the reason or how to fix it and I kept trying to put the cork back in it but it was like, nope, you're going to deal with this. So what, uh, was the, what did you discover? What was the anxiety when you uncovered it? Well, I was a, I, you know, I think I, I really have only uncovered it like a decade or more, like 15 years later, you know, I'm starting to really put the pieces together, but I was just a massive people pleaser. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you acknowledging my energy today because, because I've healed some of the reasons why I would be prone to try to make everybody else feel okay ahead of myself or make it look perfect on the outside, whether or not I'm feeling okay with things on the inside. Those are some of the characteristics that I was experiencing. And it's like holding everything together with a lot of effort instead of just actually saying what's on your mind or on your heart. When you speak from that place, you don't have all this cognitive dissonance going on on the inside that you're managing constantly. So by that point, I had just done so much managing. I was just kind of like, it was, I was reaching the limits of my ability to manage at that level. Um, and it, in a way, I think very much it was myself kind of forcing me to look at something. So in a way, that anxiety for me back then was a gift because it drew attention to something that I had previously been ignoring. Now, did that you sense? That makes sense. Now, did you happen to finish your senior year? Yes. And this is actually, this could actually... It's a little, it's almost so direct, you, you won't believe, well, what I do today is what helped me back then, and then my road since that year took so many long twists and turns before I came back to this awareness, but my mother said, 
well, Mandy, I don't know what else that we can do for you. Like this was very unusual for all of us. None of us were versed in how to deal with this. And I was the oldest, so it was uncharted territory in a lot of ways. And she had helped my, she had purchased a, a hypnotherapy session for my father for stop smoking as a gift. Like, let's try this. And he was consenting and he tried it out. And she said, maybe you could go too. And maybe that would help. And I was very willing. I would do anything. I was like, yeah, sure. I was open-minded and just open to figure out because certainly I was analyzing it from every angle. And I didn't have a lot of confidence that speaking to somebody about it in a sense of um, otherwise counseling, I just was like, what are we going to uncover through conversation? Mm -hmm. That was my thought at the time. And that hour spent with that gentleman, basically all a person like that helps you do is to relax your critical mind so that the information that's underlying the issue in your own subconscious can naturally rise forward, can naturally spring forward. In the absence of critical thinking and analysis, your subconscious information presents itself. And we only spent 60 minutes together, but something got reconnected in that time. And I understand a lot more about the mechanics of it now and why that was so profoundly transformative for me back then. But after that and going forward, I had a lot better emotional fluency. So I could recognize my emotions so much better. And that was like a superpower because if you understand what's happening automatically, and where it's coming from and why, and you can suddenly pinpoint it and go, oh, well, this is, mm -hmm. this is uncomfortable because of that. Then you feel like you're in the driver's seat of your own experience again. Maybe everything doesn't change instantaneously, but the awareness was there suddenly, and it was a gift after just a very short period of time. Mm. Well, you had mentioned, Mandy, I mean, um, our company, CRG, who produces ass assessments and tools, you know, one of our number one sort of mandates is how can we improve our self-awareness mm. that leads to self-management, that leads to self-mastery, and all wrapped in this is that concept of emotional intelligence. So that's what's really you're talking about for you is yes. uh, that I can uncover that. Now, that session, and I want to go back earlier in your life here in a minute, but that session, what was sort of the, uh, did you ever really discover, what was the underlying underpinning item that was hindering you? I basically just kept saying, I feel bad. I feel bad. I didn't really have any other access to an emotion other than just, I feel bad. And it wasn't like a specific event or anything. We didn't go back. It was simply that I was judging a part of myself that I'm searching for the words right now. This aspect of that session really has helped to shape my worldview ever since that day because what the gentleman in North Georgia showed me through experience was that the part of myself that I was not appreciating, in fact, I was rejecting out of hand, um, needed to be brought back into the fold and 
maybe this would be interesting. I can actually tell you what happened. Of course, it's not at all going to it couldn't possibly make the impact that experiencing it as an individual would in the moment. Um, but he said, okay, bring that version of you in here. Let's have a talk with her. And I was like, okay. So you just pictured, I mean, it's just imagery. Imagery is our natural capability. It happens in sleep all the time called dreams. When you bring it into waking state, it's basically trance work. And we could do it with consent. You could do it with anybody just playing a game. I mean, presenting a problem, presenting an issue or an idea or a concept as imagery is can be just as spontaneous as snapping your fingers. And suddenly when you're working with imagery, you're working with the matter of the subconscious, which is just so cool. And I love it because it's open source. We all have access to this. We don't have to buy it. Um, so that literacy for me and also sharing that knowledge with others, I think is so powerful and it's part of what it's – it's one of the things I love most about what I do. So mm. to get back mm -hmm. to your question, you asked me. He said, bring her in. And so I mean, my eyes are closed. I'm pretty relaxed. This person's bossing me around. You know, I'm very responsive to authority. I'm in the military. And – I was like, okay, she's here. And he goes, all right, introduce her to your family. And in my mind, you know, I did it in, in an instant. And he said, well, do they like her? And I was like, yeah, they like her just fine. And he said, all right, take her around to your friends at school. Introduce her there. And I, I, I did it in an instant. You know, it takes seconds. And I, he said, do they like her? And I was like, yeah, everybody loves her. He said, take her to your church. And I did, and I was just like flabbergasted that this part of me that I was hating on, he was, I was experiencing that everyone else loves her. And he was like, all right, so quit separating yourself from yourself. You can't reject a part of yourself. When we do that to ourselves, we create problems. And that was such a powerful lesson for me. But it also, it also helped me to understand how we humans really create dissonance in the world too. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, uh, known and even unknown is what you're talking about. But let me exactly. just scroll back a minute. I, I don't want to miss the question about, so did your dad stop smoking or not? <laughs> when I tell this story, my, I, always get, I always forget I want to get that question. He, he did not. He loved to do things his own way in his own time. And he, I think, was inherently, he was inherently disapproving of the idea that something else was going to help him do this in a simple way where he was trying so hard mm. and wasn't ready or didn't, didn't find it easy yet. And so... There's a real, I think that that's an interesting, that's an interesting tale to tell because it demonstrates just how much this type of work, any type of work with imagery, it's really helping a person help themselves do exactly what they want to see done. Mm -hmm. It's not about what it, it can do to you. So there's truly no transfer of control there. Does that make sense too? Absolutely. We recently had uh, a hypnotherapist who does it as a keynote speaker and entertainment. And he says, we're not making people do anything they, that they don't agree with. It's just that we sort of release the chain so that they can freely engage 
and we're not manipulating them. We're just being suggestive and they're just agreeing with it. So a lot of times people think that you're being controlled like puppet strings, but in fact not. Uh, you right. have this agreement with that. So thanks for that clarity. Now I want to I want to scroll back a little bit, uh, Mandy. Five sisters. What did your parents uh, do for a living? Like growing up, what was sort mm-hmm. of the the space like in that family as a uh, uh, one of five daughters and sisters? <laughs> yes. Well, my parents were very young when they started their family, and neither of them finished college. So I kind of view it like they they sacrificed their college years in order to pour into us. And I, I mean, that's exactly what happened. So my father was extremely capable and determined and resourceful. He, I think capable is just one of the best ways to describe him because he actually was always working in the disaster restoration or reconstruction industry from his Mm -hmm. teenage years. He -hmm. decided when an uncle said to him, you know, Billy, college isn't for everyone. Like he kind of gave him permission that if this doesn't feel like something you want to do, it's not like this track that you can't get off of. You choose what you do. And he didn't want to continue. And then I was on the way and then it was important to have, a focus on income, I think is, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like, he and I didn't talk about this a whole lot, but it's just like he went into full blown entrepreneur mode. And when at one point he was doing every single job in the business, and I remember this, you know, from running the books to hiring, firing, doing the work, all aspects of the work, you know, the, the construction and the rehabilitation of certain homes, um, the restoration of homes that have been water or fire damaged. These, he was truly, he built it from a one person operation up to like 80 people throughout his life. And my father is, I have, I have to speak about him in past tense because he's no longer with us. He passed away a few years ago and I just miss him. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. <laughs> I, I miss him you greatly. Think of an eldest daughter, just that connection there. So yeah, we, yeah, I get, I get that. I get. He that. is so yeah. Thank you. And it's always, it's always a, it's always a joy to remember him. He, he was such a dynamic personality, and one of the things that I admired most about him, and I, I couldn't put it together, I couldn't put my finger, I never could put my finger on just how special he was until recently it kind of became more obvious to me. When He loved to laugh, and he would always make jokes, but never at others' expenses. He would, he was quite alpha, and he would always find a way to make the joke at his own expense so everyone could laugh but nobody would dare nobody was at risk of having toes stepped on or accidentally getting feelings hurt or anything like that it was a very humble way to interact that was also just a very strong i a very strong trait of his that i i re- mm-hmm. really admire um, he was a powerhouse when it came to his work and my mother stayed home with us and so I remember... Well, there's nothing to do with five kids, five daughters. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't even laugh at that. You know, it's yeah, just I like know. there was, exactly. was so exactly. much. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I think I appreciate that even more to this day. You know, sometimes whatever 
I whatever I'm focusing on, I love to pour myself into things that I create and certainly that includes mm-hmm. and the primary is my my work. But um now, there's the a huge sacrifice your dad or did the company was it sold or did did it discontinue? It is still surviving. Mm-hmm. My mother now, are is there any family members it. in there? Yes. We almost all worked in the company at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's also a huge that also was a huge honor. And and right now, since his passing, my family has been running it. Various people stepping in at different times, but principally my mother and one and another sister. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, when these things occur, my uh, father-in-law passed away 20 some years ago and my uh, wife was only 40. So that you, we get that where, you know, that when they're younger and then my dad's dad died when my dad was um, 16 years of age. So you, you yes. have these impact the, the downstream. And so people pick up the pieces from there, but it sounds like if you are sort of summarizing what you're saying is that really was an environment of encouragement that your parents and that they really were, helping their kids to kind of be their best that they could be. It wasn't something that was oppressive. No. No, my gosh. It was like, yeah, I just, I think also not having a lot of resources. It's interesting because how we perceive resources, you know, especially as a child, what perspective did I really have about whether we had a lot or a little? I knew that it was important to conserve. I knew that it was extremely important not to waste. Um, we were very thoughtful about how money was spent, but I, I was bought many gifts, you know, and, and not inexpensive ones at that too. So, but it's like, we truly, we truly didn't have a lot extra. And when I think about how much they made those resources, including time stretch, it's really amazing because even to get into the Air Force Academy, that process is there, I mean, I had to drive some parents, some kids' families. Sorry, I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but I just, my mind's a little blown when I think about the privilege that I had with them even being able to drive me during a weekday down to Atlanta to interview at the senator's office. You know, at a certain time, you've got to show up. If you're, tw- if you're 15 minutes late, you're out. And you get interviewed by five people. We, we borrowed interview um, resources from the library for free. And I practiced interviewing with my mother. She, she rehearsed mm-hmm. with me so that I could learn how to interview at the age of 15 or 16 down in the, in the state capitol. And, I mean, just like mailing thing after thing after thing in, meeting deadline after deadline. If you miss a deadline you're really setting yourself back, if not taking yourself out of the running. So just now, what to, was sorry to interrupt you, Mandy. Sure. What what was driving you to be to go there? What what was your interest in the Air Force? Mm-hmm. I back then I I had an idea of what it would mean to fly, and I thought that I wanted to to be a pilot, and I actually was pilot qualified. So I got into the Naval Academy as well, which was a, a huge accomplishment. Um, but I elected the Air Force because suddenly, sometimes we realize, you realize things when you're in the middle of them. And when I got into the Naval Academy, I was like, what was I thinking? I don't want to be on a boat. <laughs> so yeah, stuck I, in the ocean for six months. Okay. Right. So I guess I had the luxury. I was picky and I got to choose because I was into, got into both schools. Um, but 
watching my dad, um, you know, both in, in their, in their own way, both my parents really encouraged independence and my mom always encouraged, you know, make yourself options and helped me to achieve the requirements of having options available to me. You know, when people, sometimes kids don't have a perspective on time. They don't have a context for time. And so what feels like not a big deal, miss class a few days, get a few C's or a B or something, it would have really impacted my ability to go to the school that I wanted to go to. And my father, on the other hand, working as hard as he did, um, I didn't want him picking up the check, which he had offered to do to find a way to do. I didn't want him paying for my college, having not, having not um, benefited from completing school himself. So I was looking at ways that I could um, achieve because I'm a super, I was just a super achiever. I like to check things off. I like to compete with others and, um, and also be independent and financially independent, support myself and also travel the world. So something that's interesting about me is I've actually been to all seven continents. <laughs> now, was that through the Air Force? A couple of the continents ended up being through the Air Force, but one was purely recreation, and that was Antarctica, and one was purely with my work in leadership in the private sector, in the commercial sector. Um, that was Asia, and Europe was a mix, and Africa, you know, technically Egypt is part of Africa. So while I haven't spent a lot of time in Africa, technically I've been on the continent and you can't go for the first time twice. So that was my, that's my step onto the African continent. Well, uh, there you go. Now you just covered a whole bunch of stuff there. Now, Mandy, <laughs> we, uh, we are already halfway through the show. So we really got to, we're going to have to pick up our pace. How's that? Okay. Now? Let's do it. And, um, and that's because there's so much you have to offer, so we don't want to miss that. So when we think about you've completed the uh, Air Force Academy, so you have this anxiety um, situation that occurred. You go to a hypnotist. You, um, it, it helps you. It helps you to really kind of filter through how you were filtering your own perspective. So what did you do next? So you graduate from Air Force uh, from school, uh, then what? What did you do for the next little bit? Did you stay in the Air Force, and what was the role that you played there? Yeah, I I will try. I will pick up the pace so that we can go all the way through um, to current day. I was an aircraft maintenance officer at Langley Air Force Base and had the pleasure of working with the F-22. It was becoming operational, fully operational at the time, and um, that was just a really cool time in history to be a maintenance officer for a fighter aircraft like that. I, mm -hmm. After five, going on six years, um, I did some stints overseas, um, not in harm's way, thank goodness, not generally speaking in harm's way, but very, very interesting posts that I got to, to serve and fill. And... I ultimately left the Air Force at the very end of 20, 2010. And then I wound my way through four, if you count my dad's business, four different commercial industries, leadership roles in operations and at the front end of business management like product development or product management, three different industries, uh, commercial space, commercial aviation parts, and uh, medical device manufacturing as well. And... Uh, 
around, we've already touched on this, but around the time that my father passed, I had already started practicing part-time as a hypnotherapist for a lot of reasons in Seattle, right here in Seattle. Now, how did and, you get to Seattle from uh, Atlanta? How did you mm -hmm. land there? The I actually, I was back in Atlanta after the Air Force, and the first job that I took after my transition was in south of Portland, Oregon. And I worked there for a couple years, but when I showed up, I figured out that they were start they were in a process of trying to migrate the manufacturing out of country. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a couple years working for the company. I got a couple promotions. It was a really cool a really cool first job, first real job outside of the military. But um I could tell about halfway through, maybe fourteen months in, I was like there was not as much runway there. And if I wanted to stay in the Northwest, as you know how amazing it is up here, which I really did. I was alpine climbing at the time. I, I really dove deeply into alpine rock and ice climbing through those years. And I kid you not, I was obsessed with it. And so I was like, I just got here. I am not going back to Kalamazoo to work in sales for this company if I want to stay on board. So I ended up getting a job up in Everett, Everett, Washington, with a different company, different industry, different role. And, that oh, and was most people don't know it's the home of Boeing. That's right. And so this was an air, airplane parts manufacturing company mm -hmm. and highly proprietary, highly engineered, very profitable. And it was just a really cool job to be managing that business unit and um, did that for a couple of years, ultimately took a break for spent about one year just rock climbing. And in the space of that time was when I thought, I had come back. There had been another trauma. There had been stuff going on in my personal life, and I went back to hypnotherapist at that time for the first time in 10 years. And I was like, I want to do this. I was just like, it hit me like a bolt of lightning one day. I was like, I got to do this for a living. So I started to train for that. I started my practice. And in the meantime, a job with a Paul Allen company just dropped in my lap. Um, Paul Allen Company's at the time, I was hired by Vulcan and ultimately became an employee of Strata Launch, so in the commercial space business. And it was just, it was one so, of those like... Sorry to interrupt you, but Paul Allen has one of the nicest airplane museums in the world for World War II aircraft, just near the Boeing field in, in Plainfield. You're, are you familiar with that? I'm familiar with it, and I... I, the name is slipping my mind, but I love that you're aware of it, too. I am also... Well, I've been in it. And uh, it was interesting because uh, they had a P-51 Mustang, and one of the individuals there actually knew the guy who flew it. So uh, during World War II, I said, well, what's the odds of that? And so if you're an air, air aircraft uh, or airplane enthusiast, Paul Allen's museum, it only had about 20 or 30 airplanes, but meticulous. I mean, absolutely done to the nines. And he had Ugh. a Japanese aircraft that was one of only two in existence in the world. I forget even the, the, the type that it was. See, we digress. Mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but there you go. So there's that uh, connection there. So now you've uh, got, you're going into this um, hypnotherapy. 
uh, where, where was your training? Was it online or was it local there or how did that work? Um, well, you can imagine because of my my parents' background, you know, watching my dad really build from the ground up his entire livelihood and, and the entire source of everything that I've benefited from built by his two hands, more or less. Um, it's not like I'm obsessed with the credentials or the education, but when you help people deal with things that are really difficult, that can be really difficult and personal at the same time, I took the stance of basically wanting to be certain that I had every tool available. I went to an in-person training down in Albuquerque that end-to-end was 12 weeks in residence, like Mm -hmm. eight or 10 hour days. And then I also did a training over in the UK for, it was 10 days straight, 10 days of education straight, I think it was. And, um, yeah, so that was my that was my training. I am certified by the International Board of Hypnotherapy too, and it was a really cool it was a really cool experience of just personal growth and development as well as mind expanding information. Pardon the pun. That's, that is so bad, exactly. man. That is so bad. So bad. <laughs> uh, mind expanding. Well, hey, listen, if we can't have fun on this show, then we shouldn't really have the show. So <laughs> so when you think about that, uh, now you started to do part-time and you had this other job. How mm-hmm. long have you now been full-time in this profession? Going on, oh, full-time? Going on four years. Okay. And so it's more than five, it's like five years in practice, I think. Um, yeah. And the impetus for switching, I, I mean, there was still so many, there were still so many uh, vestiges of wanting to do it all and hold together this certain appearance. I would just want to be a little vulnerable with you today and anyone who's listening. That you know, the desire to be approved of by other people, be liked, all like you name it. Just I could keep going on and on. You know, mm-hmm. it stems from an from what I call a lack of right sight. So if we truly see our own worth and power and full capability, goodness, if we see those things fully, we don't have any concern whatsoever that other people are going to see something that are not going to approve or whatever. We just know that Mm -hmm. other people have opinions and we can let them float right on by. One of the things that I help people do, that, that what, how I focus in my practice is just completely rebuilding or reconnecting with a very, very strong and powerful sense of self-esteem. So it's like seeing ourselves in our full worth and value. Because you can know it in your head. You know, I've got my finger pointing at my temple right now. You can know it, but if you don't feel that's true, then you're not going to be able to experience life from a place of what that's like for a person who does know that no one can disapprove of you. I want to ask you a question right now, um, Mandy. So I, and the reason I interrupt my guests, by the way, listeners, is so I don't forget the question. <laughs> and I take notes as we go through it. Uh, one of the things we cover in my book, The Quest for Purpose, if, if I'm really going to live my purpose, is that I, I can't worry about what other people say. And I remember a speaker mm-hmm. saying, it's your opinion of me is none of my business. I love that. I love that but too. One, but one of the other 
characteristics and qualities which is out there and I won't call it a quality it's just a characteristic which is putrid and negative and toxic to the world is it seems like every single person is offended by anything at any time where does that come from in your practice in your work in your profession you know there's so many different flavors and reasons why and so but what comes to mind I uh, for for starters the reason that I answered that way first is simply because I hold a really open space like I don't presume to know it like what the difference between mm -hmm. one one corner case and another like I, I don't know for sure so I like to stay in my lane when I diagnose but of course I've got opinions and also I see patterns through my work which is what I know you're inviting me to share and I think that what I see most often when people are taking offense is um, there's been prior judgments of like distinguishing well what you did is wrong there and what you did is right there or this is black and white it's right or it's wrong and these types of really harsh uh, assessments of essentially meaningless activities or things that don't really have any personal um, mm -hmm. objective information assigned to them or or meaning assigned um, this is how we give back what we were given and I just think that it's kinda like you can only you people generally express from the bank of what was modeled to them and through experience we can add to our repertoire but we're still starting from what was initially modeled whether that's in the family or in the young the classroom as a young kid or whatever how does that land well it lands it lands by I mean I was just relating to a recent event where this this uh, girl woman um, got engaged to an individual and her parents didn't approve of his views and so they decided they're not going to go to her wedding and so Aww. I just yeah, and so she posted that on, on online in a video that her dad wouldn't walk her down the aisle because her because of the political views of her uh, to be husband anyways if you mean harsh it, it, well it's dysfunctional for sure now Mandy we only have actually a few minutes left but I want to do for the listeners and say, what are some specific strategies and things that the listeners can consider from your expertise, mm -hmm. you know, to, to take their life to the next level or to think about or to reflect on? So mm -hmm. what can you give us in about the next five to seven minutes? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, maybe this is a great example of I can I can example it with, from my own life and what we were just talking about. I've I put some thought to this ahead of time because I always like to think about what could maybe make a shift for somebody or change a life or provide value just in a short conversation. And the things that came to mind were, and these are really the tools of my work. I, I use a lot of techniques and stuff, but helping people gain awareness and utilize their own attention and direct their own attention is massive it's a massive part of what I do and you say those words and it sounds really easy but anybody who's had any type of uh, like kind of repetitive thought pattern or um, a sense of overwhelm even which I, mean, I think we can all raise our hand it's sometimes it's harder it's 
it's easy to think of it like a strategy, but it's harder in practice, especially when something feels threatening or loaded or scary or stressful or whatever. So I help people master their own attention in a really, really easy, natural, fast, and lasting way. And the other one that is maybe my favorite is applying non-judgment. So if awareness is our attention, then non-judgment is a way to use your attention that's not going to harm you or others. And me personally, I just really resonate with this because I see that like you were talking about with the the father and the bride um, and the pain that, that that decision created is even when we draw these hard lines, we're just creating a judgment. And when we judge something, what we're doing is we're establishing a separation between us and it. And, of course, there are lots of reasons why it's important to have judgments and have opinions. But how we use judgment can always be improved. And this is the greatest opportunity that I see for people. And, again, there's plenty of ways that I help people that I would argue they can't necessarily help themselves. I'm I'm no different. I need help sometimes to do certain things that I just can't do for myself. Um, it's the nature of certain certain issues that we might need to work or whatever help that we need. But non-judgment is one of those things that you can start applying right now without having to spend a dime. So how do I do that? Yeah. So let's look at, let's think of, let me, let me see if this example makes sense. Hmm. I was just explaining how a bit before how I was such a people pleaser and I was still hanging on to some of these vestiges of wanting external approval when I was working for the Paul Allen company. I mean, surely this job had just, it was like it was dropped from heaven just for me. I, I couldn't believe I, I hardly had to make effort towards it. And meanwhile, I was practicing a real core passion of mine on the side. And I felt like I can do both of these things. And I realized later, especially around the time that my father passed, I said to myself, Mandy, you only get one life. If this is your life, and you're trying to split it doing two things with Virtuoso, guess what? You're going to fail at doing either of them that well. And so some of the fears that were holding me back before from just going full-time into something was I was making, there were fears around, um, you know, there were fears around, well, what are people going to think? Again, just being really vulnerable, you know, like if you look behind that fear, what are the judgments that I'm holding about someone working in the profession that I really long to be working in at the time? This it, it feels like just it feels like just yesterday, but how do, how could I step into greater acceptance of myself? One of the things is applying softness. So. What's interesting about non-judgment is it's like it's kind of like if somebody has a hammer and they're just banging at the banging at a at the stairs, banging the nails down in the stairs, and you say, "Well, why don't you stop judging? Why don't you stop hammering right now?" And they go, "I don't know how. I don't know how." And they just keep hammering. You just go, "Just just put the hammer down. Here, let me just take this from you and just stop doing it." 
non practicing non-judgment can almost be that simple. And now I'd love your feedback because maybe maybe I'm too deep in it. But what do you what do you think about that? Like when you're when we're applying judgment to ourselves or to another person, it's kind of like we're taking a hammer. And it can be as simple as putting it down and stopping to create some space and listen to what might be causing us to want to apply that judgment. Mm. You know, when you think about it, Mandy, and those of you that are listening, and I just want to wrap sort of a, a, a thought around what you're saying, Mandy. My mother-in-law lives in a independent living for, um, you know, a nursing home kind of want to call it. So my mother-in-law is 90 at the time of this recording and still alive. Wow. And there's a couple of, it's quite capable, quite physical, out and about, planting flowers, doing all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the reasons why she's 90 and alive. But she has two or three people in her building that are just toxic in right? mm. just this critical nature. And it seems to be that that is all they know. So part yeah. of is, you know, when those of you that are listening and, and, you know, I always state from a leadership point of view, never underestimate a toxic person because they pollute the entire waterway is has anybody really helped them to stop? And I think a lot of times they don't, they don't even know that they are just that critical. It has now become their personhood. Yeah. Is their identity. It's who they are. So how do you get people to unhook from that? Yes, you get them to stop. And hopefully mm-hmm. it's that easy. And I suspect that most people that come to see you are already open to change. But what if I have somebody beside me, uh, Mandy, who is not so open and doesn't want a, you know, treatment and is like this? What do yeah. you say to your clients about who are in environments like that? And the question is, if someone near you, I want to make sure that I'm understanding the scenario right. If somebody near you is is inflicting a lot of judgment maybe towards themselves or in your direction, how mm. can we impact that behavior so where we're having a better experience? Is that sure. right? Let's go okay. with that one. Okay. Um, well, Interestingly, I as I was thinking about non-judgment this morning, I was thinking about it as um, like I, I often think that people would question, well, why should I choose a lighter? Why should I be less critical of myself? If I'm not critical, how will I get anything done? Because we're kind of married sometimes to judgment mm-hmm. as like the way that we motivate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm not harsh with myself, then how will I get anything done? And I anticipate that always because it's very, very common. And I myself have also, also asked myself the same. And I liken non-judgment more to persuading in a conversation like to using the art of influence or persuasion rather than convincing or forcing. So if you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you're both like basically two sets of fists with knuckles hitting against each other, like I'm using my own hands right now, like you're just like in gridlock with each other, moving against each other forcefully. You don't get anywhere in the conversation. But alternatively, if you can step onto the other person's side, it's always like who's going to be the bigger person here and who has more emotional capacity and space to come from the place of giving first. And even as I'm saying this, viscerally I know just how hard it is Mm -hmm. to be generous when someone else is being cruel or hurtful. But there's a book that I know called Nonviolent Communication, also by a doctor, and it is fantastic. And if you even read the first chapter, it will change your world. I think it's a great way of applying non-judgment in the situation that you're talking about. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Mandy, can you believe it? We're already, we're just having a nice conversation. We're already to the end of our time. I want to honor all the, the Secrets of Success listeners that if you're on your drive time and you want to get to the end of this show, I know you want to keep listening to Mandy, and you can find out more in a minute. So we just have a, a, a couple of minutes left, Mandy. So if people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they go? Oh, I love that, and thank you for the opportunity. I really love to connect with people, and my website is a hub for sure, and the gift is my website, palladiummind.com, and this is an easy way for us to connect because I pour a great amount of value and energy and love into my email list in very focused emails. They're not like daily. It's not like spam I just pour. Um, I know how I like to receive emails and it's intentionally. So any one of the giveaways, if somebody wants either of these gifts about how to relax your own critical mind and also there's some affirmations, especially for entrepreneurs in there, both are downloadable at this link, palladiummind.com, that's P-A-L-L-A-D-I-U-M, mind.com forward slash secrets of dash of dash success. We'll put that URL in the show notes for sure, uh, Mandy, because if you're driving, don't try to remember it. Or you could just rewind. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's for somebody that's over, uh, over 20 who says rewind. You can just go back uh, and listen to that f- from that. So thanks, Mandy. Any other uh, links that you can send us to? Yeah, and for anybody who's like, I don't want to download. I don't want to this. I don't, it, like, I get it. <laughs> I love Instagram, and it's at, mypalladiummind.com or it's not the dot com but at mypalladiummind and my name is Mandy so you can find me there if you tag uh, Dr. Ken or if you write secrets of success as a comment anywhere then I'll know that that's how we connected and it'll help us start a conversation absolutely now uh, Mandy you know I'm sorry that we're already time because I want to kind of keep going but uh, (laughs) I just want to respect our listeners a little bit in their time is uh, what would be um, sort of a final piece of wisdom or a suggestion and a how-to for our listeners beyond what you've shared up to this point for them to really take their life to the next level. Lots of thoughts cross my mind, but here's the one. Relaxation of our critical minds is not only really vital for our health, it also expands creativity like almost instantly. This is another way of describing the meditative state. And I think personally from my experience as a human and in my practice, et cetera, I see a lot of people struggling to apply meditation and really trying to apply meditation. And what the value is, if this wisdom is going to make a difference for somebody, like I think it has a great, a great amount of um, potential to do that. The state itself is what's going to create the change for you. Accessing the state itself, which just simply means accessing your own imagery or relaxing analytical or critical thinking for a few minutes. And so this is permission just to allow yourself to have some fun while you're relaxing your critical mind and not try to get meditation right. I see a lot of people struggling that way and then meditation becomes just another way that we kind of can beat ourselves up. And I hate to see that happening, especially when it's so unnecessary. So that's my parting parting gift. Mm. Well, thanks, Mandy, for that. So listeners, you've been listening to Mandy Barbie 
the company is Palladium Mind, not Palladiums or Minds, but PalladiumMind.com. We'll make sure that's in uh, the show notes. And of course, Mandy, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Uh, you're welcome. Stay with us, uh, Mandy. So, Secrets of Success listeners, you know, one of the things that Mandy really talked about was, you know, giving yourself space, allowing yourself to kind of relax. And there was, I was just reading some research, is that the wandering mind is the unproductive and stressed mind. So she said, you know what, how do I actually focus my attention? How do I actually be here now in this this constant distraction with stuff all around us is if we can vet that. And, you know, and if you need some help, I'm sure Mandy remotely and um, virtually can assist and help you uh, from her place in Seattle, Washington, for sure. And we appreciate uh, her being with us. And by the way, we appreciate you as a listener. And if you like what we're doing, please leave a positive comment, share, let other people know about what we're doing. If you have some comments about the show, we'd like to be able to respond to those as well. And thank you to the many listeners who have posted positive comments recently. So thank you for listening. And I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.